0: you found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. It's Irene, and I'm here with a very loving hello for each of you. When I began Grief and Rebirth podcast, I had absolutely no idea where this new journey was going to lead me. And I'm so both humbled and happy to announce that in just two years, Grief and Rebirth podcast has now passed its 100th interview, and we're closing in on 100,000 people downloading this insights-filled, enlightening podcast. So to celebrate this milestone, I decided to revisit 10 podcast episodes which was extremely hard for me because I absolutely love every one of my guests and who to choose. So as you listen, I'll share why I chose each of these interviews featured here and how they spoke to me for one reason or another. Stay tuned. Here they come. Listen and enjoy. And thank you for celebrating with our Grief and Rebirth podcast audience and with me. My first interview that I chose is with Kerry Hummingbird, who is a soul guide, and she just is a wonderful inspiration for people who want to live their lives wide awake with authenticity, passion, and purpose. She wrote a great book called The Second Wave. She's a prolific writer. She's just written her fourth book. The Second Wave is her third book, and it's about transcending the human drama What I loved about this interview is that Carrie talks about the dramas we often create in our own lives, and she calls it a triangle of disempowerment. She speaks to the difference between the victim, the rescuer, and the perpetrator. I really learned a lot from this conversation I had with her. And she also talks about, which is a message very dear to my heart, about not being a doormat by using clear boundaries and discernment. This is a lesson I'm still learning in my life. And you know what else I loved about this interview? She also talks about how we look at life. Each one of us looks at life through different eyes, which helps us when we're trying to learn to be more accepting of other people and not have judgment and how each one of us is unique. So Carrie's terrific. She was my first choice for this series of 10 to celebrate And give a listen to this segment from her interview.
1: It just means you're the only one that can respond to the thing that happened. You're the only one that can choose. And if you don't claim that power, then you just stay stuck. And then you're just resentful and angry and pissed off and blaming somebody for the rest of
2: your
0: life. you You can stay in that victim mode that this happened and give this person all that power. Or you can
1: change... The way you're looking at it, change your attitude, how does that work? Well, it's, it's, it's a lot of both. So it's energetic. There's a lot of energetic patterns and ancestral patterns that need healing and clearing that just facilitate you getting out of that triangle. And there's also conscious effort. You have to practice what you preach. You've got to take steps with every relationship to notice, to become aware of when you're falling into the trap again and to pull yourself out of it by claiming your power and being sovereign and saying, well, okay, that sucks, but I'm going to take responsibility for this. This doesn't mean being a doormat. You know, this is about having clear boundaries, knowing what's yours and what someone else's, discerning that, taking responsibility for only the piece that's yours, and then just letting them do, like, don't rescue people. Let them do what they're doing. If they're going to fall into a hole by themselves, then they'll figure out their way out of it. So <laughs> this is getting rid of that paradigm where, you know, and Americans, were so entranced by superheroes everybody wants to be a superhero and be like the savior of all people and like we're the ones that are the smartest it's totally an ego trip it's like you just want to be the smartest one with all the right answers that everybody loves like who doesn't want that but the thing is it's so disempowering because if you're a rescuer that means somebody has to be a victim if you're a rescuer you're automatically saying somebody has to be a victim in order for me to feel fulfilled And somebody's got to be a perpetrator perpetrating violence on somebody in order for me to feel fulfilled. Well, that's crappy. The truth is, like, in any relationship where somebody's saying that they're the victim and the other person's the perpetrator, the perpetrator person is also saying, I'm the victim and you're my perpetrator. Everybody's saying they're the victim. Nobody says, I'm a perpetrator, dang it, and I'm proud of that. Like, nobody's...
0: The perpetrator
1: is picking on the victim because he feels victimized. Victimized by... By who knows what right victimized by his own thoughts victimized oh it's not my fault it's my parents fault that did this so it's, everybody's a victim and in this paradigm
0: I said I don't agree with you but it's still your fault or whatever you did right that's your right? opinion
1: so this is where we learn about perspectives and we start learning how like there isn't one Every, I used to think that there was like this one capital T truth of the, of any situation. And, and if we could only just, if everybody just watched the video back of it, they would all see the truth, but it doesn't exist. There's only perspectives. And that's why we get so frustrated trying to come to the same viewpoint because we can't, we're always looking through different eyes. There's no way we're going to look at the same viewpoint. We might overlap like the Venn diagrams. We might overlap on a piece and that's like, Really validating, but the rest of it, then we stop. We stop feeling aligned because they're like, "Well, you're not totally like me, so I can't trust you." <laughs> Nobody's totally like anybody else. We're all unique.
0: It's about appreciating the uniqueness in each other, and that has to do with acceptance and, and non judgment, which is another big, t- huge, no, huge. Which leads me to, why do you call being empathic a superpower, and if that's true, then I am superwoman. So let's
1: talk about that. (laughs) Talk about being a superhero. Well, you know, empathic, I was always told that I was too sensitive.
3: I have been told the
1: same thing. Too sensitive, too emotional, you -hmm. know, get a tougher skin, you know, stop crying or being upset Mm -hmm. about that. You're just taking it too personally. So, part of this is true. Like, Four Agreements teaches us don't take it personally. So, there is that part. There are, you need to have good boundaries to know what's personal and what's not personal. However, like, the sensitivity part is actually a beautiful gift, it's a refinement of perception.
0: The second person I chose was Mark Anthony. What is there not to love and like about Mark Anthony? He is a world-renowned fourth-generation psychic medium who also happens to be an Oxford-educated attorney. And he's even argued cases before the Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court. I thought this was a very pertinent interview to bring forth to all of you because we are, God willing, all of us, hopefully coming out of this coronavirus pandemic. And in this interview, Mark talked about the lessons that we could learn from going through the experience of the pandemic. So give a listen. Have, have you learned any of these lessons? How did it affect you? And I certainly relate to some of the things he said that we will be learning from this pandemic. And the other thing we talked about that was really bothering me. And I asked him about was all the people who were dying alone from the pandemic pandemic. And Mark assured me that they're really not alone and that there are many of their relatives, deceased loved ones, whatever, meeting them on the other side. And that even in our normal day-to-day life, if we happen to die alone or know of people who for some reason die alone, they're not alone. It was really comforting to me. And I would like for all of you to be comforted. So please give a good listen to this little vignette from Mark Anthony. Uh, He's done a gallery for grief and rebirth podcast. He was just absolutely wonderful and so gracious. And um, I've interviewed him a few times. He's very, very wise. So give a listen, enjoy.
4: But the thing is, those brave Londoners huddled together were people like you and me, Irene. They weren't superheroes. They, They weren't trained. You don't get training to learn how to go through something like that and we didn't get training how to go through a pandemic. But the thing is, they found the courage, they found the inner strength, and we can too. And so when people say, well, I need proof to, to, to believe in miracles, the fact that you're alive, the fact that every day you draw breath is a miracle. So when you doubt that miracles exist, look in the mirror because you're the miracle.
0: Speaking of miracles, have you got any words of comfort and guidance for people who are losing loved ones to the coronavirus and they cannot be with their loved ones as they're passing? Are they stepping up from the other side and filling in that role to fill that void?
4: You know, that is probably one of the most painful things that's happening now because I've got two friends who died recently. And in both cases, their wives couldn't be with them because both of them had some underlying health problems. And because of their inability to breathe, it was suspected that they may have had COVID. Neither one of them did, but their wives were not allowed to be there. And I was talking to actually one of them today. uh, Her name is Jan. She said, I couldn't even be there to hold my husband's hand when he was dying. He was in a hospital all by himself and his family couldn't be there. And then the funeral service doesn't happen. It ended up being a Zoom session uh, like this. This is really hard for people. These rituals of uh, funerals, of wakes, they're very important for people. It's it's a way to get together and, and grieve as a group. It's very therapeutic. To not be able to be with someone that you love so much when they're dying is is really a tragedy. But the words of wisdom, I can say, is that what we have to realize is that we are not these bodies, we are in these bodies. And I like to tell people to think of your soul as a drop of water. And so when you die, that drop of water leaves your brain and plunges into the eternal sea of the collective consciousness. And as soon as you're out of your body, you revert to an immortal living being because the soul pre-existed the body, comes into the body, then lives on afterwards. We know this from quantum physics energy is neither created nor destroyed only transferred from one form to another so no and also we tend to get very focused on the death and dying of our loved ones totally understandable totally justifiable but that's just a doorway that our loved ones had to go through to get to this elevated level of consciousness they're fine we're the ones that are that are coping with the stress. But the thing is, the reason spirits reach out to us, and they're doing very much so now, because they, they know our pain, is because they want to bring forth messages of love, healing, and resolution. And that's what's happening.
0: The third person I chose is Diane Lang. Diane Lang. And what she does is close to my heart because I just love positive psychology. It helps so much to deal with life. And I like the way its message is to deal with life by being loving and kind to everyone, which is the message that I received when they pulled me out of the car and that voice came into my head, telling me to be loving and kind to everyone. So I received that spiritual heavenly directive and Diane Teaches people because she's a practicing therapist, a speaker, an educator, a certified positive psychology coach. She's written three books. She teaches, she actively teaches positive psychology in education, parenting, you name it. And she spoke in her interview with me about the positive ways we can deal with loneliness and isolation that leads to depression. And how important acts of kindness are for each of us, that they're a win-win for us and the person we express the kindness to. And I really loved her messages. I love what she has to say. I love her take on things through such a positive um, approach to life. So I, I am sure that you will, too. So be so give a listen to Diane. she's just an absolutely lovely person, so intelligent and has such a great way about her and positively tune in to um, this little vignette from her interview with me
3: and just you know a lot of the churches and temples are offering services and group prayers and I had a client say to me the other day that you know she lives alone, her spouse died a few years ago and she, her kids don't live near her and she can't get to them now because she doesn't want to fly. You know, it's too late. She's afraid to fly. And I totally respect and understand that. So she actually called her temple because she's not very good on, you know, the internet. And they actually walked her through how to do zoom. And there are, they will walk you through it. And she said to me, Oh my God, I got to see everybody's faces. Cause when you're on zoom, you know, you have the little boxes, even though everybody's little. You get to have that connection. So even if you're stuck home right now and your only way of connecting is either by phone or Zoom or Skype or FaceTime, wherever you feel the most comfortable, try to do it at least once a day to just connect with other people. And for us, you know, one thing I've noticed is when people are very stressed out, anxious, fearful, depressed at a time like this, it makes people get more self-absorbed. Because they're so scared and they're so stuck in their own pain and misery that they don't see outside themselves. And totally understandable, and their feelings are valid to feel anxious, fearful, scared, depressed, sad. There's a lot out there going on. But what happens is when we get stuck like that, we don't check on other people and we also become more depressed because we isolate ourselves. And this is one thing that really works scientifically. Every time we help somebody else, we do a random act of kindness pay it forward, whatever word you want to use, it's a win-win situation. So every time I do an act of kindness for somebody, I get a boost of happiness Mm -hmm. that lasts like 24 to 72 hours. The person I did the act of kindness for feels the same exact way. So it's a win-win. It's also boost our self-esteem just by doing a random act of kindness. And the best part is it's contagious. So if all I do today is I text, what I'm doing is I have like a few groups of friends. I have two different groups and a family text where we all kind of check on each other every day or at least every other day. Even if I just send out three texts to the different groups every morning, hey, thinking of you, how are you? How is everybody doing? Just checking in. That makes them want to do the same thing to other people because it's so contagious. So it's really important if you're feeling isolated help somebody else. And I know it's hard because you have to reach outside yourself. And again, especially if we have any mental illness, so anybody who already has anxiety disorder or clinical depression or panic disorder, it's even harder. You might have to push yourself outside that comfort zone, but we really need to do that. And just check in, checking in with somebody else will make you feel good and make them feel good. And then they'll end up checking up with somebody else. And it's kind of one of those things. I always think if everybody did one act of kindness a day, just one, we could shift the whole world. Imagine if everybody just checked on one other person every day. I can
0: totally identify with that. I can totally identify with that. It's so important. And I'm thinking that some people who may be naturally shy during this time, it's actually where they might not personally reach out to someone because they feel shy but now in the in the kind of confines of their own home it might make them enable them to be a little braver because they're online and they're checking it out and um
3: maybe they feel a little more safe doing that they could and if you don't feel safe because you are introverted and shy or an empath one of the things to think about is you can check on someone through email or text where there is no face-to-face, if you're more comfortable that way or you're afraid of rejection, you know, you've been hurt, reach out slowly. You know, we're not saying to jump right in and give somebody a call, but even just sending a text, it's really, it'll make you feel better and it'll make the other person feel better. And it breaks us out of that cycle. And one of the other things too is, We, you know, we are happier when we have more creativity and more variety. And right now we're not really having that because we're stuck home. You know, we can't do a lot. So every day you want to ask yourself, what is one new thing I can do today? And what that does is every time you do something new, you step outside your comfort zone. So you can, you can word it however you want. Like, how can I challenge myself today? Um, what's one new thing I could do? How can I step outside my comfort zone? But every time you step, you step outside your comfort zone, you grow and expand, you know, but most of us, again, we don't like change. So we stay in our comfort zones. We go, the grass is green here. And even if it's not, even if the grass is all dead, we feel more comfortable there. It's what we're used to. Even if it's miserable, people say, but at least I know what to expect or how to handle it. But instead, if you do one new thing, you get more variety. You take that risk, and that makes us happier. So that risk could be very simple, like you said, if you're shy or introverted, sending out a text or emailing. It could be learning. For a lot of us, I don't know about you, I wasn't really using Zoom. I was not a Zoom user. I did. I had to do a few classes last week online, and just doing that, I got at the end of the day, I'm like, yes, I did it. You know, I, I learned Zoom. I got it down. I did it. I felt proud, it might be you're learning PayPal or Venmo or how to do your banking online. Whatever it is, maybe you're learning a new language, you're cooking and you know cook normally, you're trying a new recipe, you tried a new food. It could be that simple. But every time we do something new, it creates the momentum that we're not so afraid of change. And that's so important. And when we're back to normal, where we're seeing each other outside of the houses, there's also a great way if you don't have much of a community to meet a community. It's not a dating website at all. We're not talking about dating. I mean, date, have fun, but this is just to meet people socially. It's called meetup and meetup.com is a great way for people to reach out, especially if you move to a new area and you don't know anybody or, you know, just lost your loved one and you're feeling kind of trapped in to reach out and try these things. There are groups that are in your area and that you can go, whether it could be at Panera where they're all playing cards or sewing, you know, knitting, or it could be trying a new language, it could be joining a bike group where they all go biking or hiking. And if you don't see what you want on there, like a book club or something, you can form your own. But it's very safe because you only meet in public. It's not a dating website and there's no pressure. Like I have a client who joined a group because she wanted to do Sunday brunches. That was her thing. She wanted to go do Sunday brunches and nobody wanted to go for whatever the reason. Some people go to church, you know, other people just didn't have the money, whatever it is. So she formed a, a, a group online where they all met up once a month at a different restaurant. Some people she became good friends with, some people she's just friends with when they meet up other times it's brand new people, but it makes for such interesting conversation, meeting new people. You're taking risks, getting that creativity and variety. And you're getting out there and socializing. The fourth person
0: I chose is an amazing woman. And I chose her because she is able to describe 12 phases of transition that we each will experience when we die, that our loved ones will experience when they die. I find what she teaches and what her abilities and her gifts to be absolutely Mm -hmm. fascinating. Her name is Julie Ryan. And she's so multifaceted. It's amazing. She's a, a successful inventor, an entrepreneur. She's a businesswoman. She's a medical intuitive. She's an energy healer, a psychic, a medium and an author. I mean, it's like, what else do don't do you? What else don't you do, Julie? She's marvelous. And um, she even has a book for children called Angel Messages for Kids. I really liked in her interview about how she described how heavenly help, the heavenly help she receives, how she communicates with spirit and the heavenly help we receive. She described what our guardian angels are like, how spirit guides come in and out of our lives and how... They absolutely have no demands or judgments of us. They just want us to expand and co-create with them. I just loved her interview. I think she's fascinating. And I wanted to share her again with all of you. So listen to this segment of her episode. And you may even want to listen, tune into her entire interview. It was it was so interesting. Um, okay, and uh, and Enjoy. Let me ask you this. As a medical intuitive, Julie, how do you see a person's medical conditions and illnesses? What do they look like to you? And can you give us an example of helping a person using your gift? Sure. They look
5: like an x-ray. It's like I'm a human MRI, Irene. I, um, I see body parts. I see Broken bones, torn ligaments, diseased organs. I can see cancer. I can see if it's metastasized to other parts of the body. I I watch um, all kinds of things that show up that would show up on an X-ray or an MRI or a CT scan. And sometimes I see things in the body that aren't showing up yet on the scans. And I'll say, okay, I can see that this cancer is metastasized to your bone or your lungs or whatever. And and the person with whom I'm talking will say, well, no, I just had a PET scan and it, it came out clear. And I said, okay, well, that's just what I'm seeing. And then they'll contact me a month later or something. They'll say, well, you were right. They did a subsequent scan and it's showing up. So I, I always see these things. But most importantly, once they're identified, then I watch energetic healings happen and it always starts right after something's identified, and it can take the place of something getting added, something getting removed. I watch energetic healings happen that emulate what I saw in operating rooms for all those decades when I was developing surgical devices and testing prototypes, and you know stuff like do
0: you perform, that. Do you perform the energetic healing is it does it come through you to the person, or how does that work? Like you've now identified something? So it Oh my God, please get that out of me. And then, and then, it, or does the energetic healing gets, get performed later
3: on? Well, how does that work, Julie?
5: No, it happens real time right then when I'm on the phone, normally 99.9% of the people with whom I work on a, on anything, it's done via phone or Skype if they're abroad, but it's, it's instant. And so I describe to them in detail what I'm watching happen and it, If they can envision what I'm seeing in my mind's eye, Irene, it helps integrate it into the body, helps the healing. So I believe it's spirit working through me. Certainly I don't believe that I'm the one doing it. I believe that I'm the, I'm the conduit and it's spirit working through me, but it, but I understand what Pope Clement talked about and still does because he's still my main spirit guide and he prides me still where he said, everything you've done is to prepare you for this work because. Like I said, so many of the healings will emulate what I see and what I saw in operating rooms. Sometimes I'll see healings that utilize methodologies and devices that haven't been invented yet. And I have an advisory group of surgeons and physicians and geneticists and therapists that I'll call I'll and I'll say, I'm seeing this. Does this make any sense to you? Especially if I see it more than one time. And I'll say, yeah, in some instances, I had one geneticist tell me um, this is a hypothesis. There are five institutes studying it right now. Nobody has seen it. Nobody can prove it. And there's no way in hell you would know about it. And I said, well, obviously I do because I just described it to you. But it's almost as if when those healings come in and then I'll subsequently see them several other times with other clients almost like it keep reaching higher and higher levels of healing abilities. And I think it's endless of what we all have the capability to do.
0: That's ourselves. Right. I myself have worked with an energy healer in my life. And it really, if if the person is good like you are and they have integrity, it can make a huge difference in your life. It's really fabulous. So let me ask you what it's like to see energy fields and facilitate energy healings which you're sort of just talking about, but I mean, Mm -hmm. you talk about your spirit guide. So for those who are listening to us who are like, what's a spirit guide? Could you explain a little bit about that and how that works, Julie? And since we're talking about energy healings, I know that you've written a new book um, that touches on that and it's geared towards kids. So there's a lot of pieces to this question, but
2: (laughs) start and go from
5: Yeah, my new book is called Angel Messages for Kids, and it's coming out next week, Irene. I wanted it out in time for the holidays. It's going to be close, but it's going to be out before the holidays. Excuse me. And it's it's based on all of this. You know, what's an energy field look like? Where spirits attached to a body having a human experience, and what happens when a loved one dies, and why is it that children can see spirits sometimes when mommy and daddy can't see them. And how is it that little children oftentimes will tell their parents and see the moms all ask me, how do I explain to my child that he knows these details from a past life that there's no way he would know them. And we've been able to corroborate them online with historical documents, but this kid can't even read yet. He's three. You know, how does he know? How does he know he was a civil war soldier? He knows where the battle was, and what the date was, and she said, there's no way he right. would know this stuff and and you hear about children with imaginary friends, and we've always thought, well, Johnny has a really good imagination. well, actually, Johnny has an imaginary friend that's a spirit. it's just mommy and daddy, or you know whoever's raising Johnny is not able to see them or or hear them, perhaps, but Johnny can. And, uh, and also, it's so confusing to children about when a loved one dies. And I have moms ask me a lot, well, my grandmother died, and we told Susie that grandma's in heaven. But Susie can plainly see grandma's body in the casket at the funeral home. And we're telling Susie that grandma's, grandma's in heaven. And they just, there's no way. But I, I don't know what to say to my daughter to help her understand. So I've written... children's picture book. And I think adults will learn a lot from it as well. I think the whole book I read has 17 sentences in it. (laughs) But it's very concise, very understandable for for children, uh, small and large and adults and all of them. And the illustrations are just darling. And uh, so it's about angels giving messages to kids that explain all of this stuff.
3: That's amazing. So let me ask
0: you this. Which I, And I think this book is so um, necessary and takes away a lot of fear uh, for people and for the kids. Uh, and it, it's a comfort because a child loves a grandparent so much and they can't even imagine that that grandparent's no longer there. So a lot of times a grandparent might say, and I don't know if your book talks about it, but I'm going to protect you. I'll be on the other side or whatever, however that is. And you talk about, you're talking about guardian angels. And you're mm-hmm. talking about spirit guides. Could you just briefly, Julie, define them for our listeners? Sure, guardian. And I mentioned this
5: in the children's book, the guardian angels. I do an angelic attendance as well, the the grown-up book. But the the as far as talking with your grandmother, you know, I'll protect you when you and I'll be there, and you can talk to me anytime. I address that too, that you know, you how how people can talk to their spirits, and it's. You ask them a question in your head or aloud, and it's the first thing that comes in your mind is them answering you. It's a thought because spirits communicate telepathically. And most people discount it because they think, well, that's my brain answering me. Yes, it is your brain if it takes longer than a second mm-hmm. to get an answer. And so the thing you remember when communicating with spirit, I mean, is that spirit's really literal. So we want to be very specific and very concise. The questions that we ask, as far as guardian angels go, we're all we all have a guardian angel comes in with us in every lifetime, stays the same. Guardian angels with us throughout all of our lifetimes, and they're just another another um, friend and helper and and guide for us, you know, to help us. They we ask them to help us. They don't intervene. They may put ideas in our heads that come in as a thought like. Maybe I'll Google this, or maybe I'll I'll look, at, I'll look for this book, or maybe that, those are all inspirational messages. And, and when you think about that our human time is a human concoction, in spirit world, there is no time. It doesn't exist. So perhaps we live 100 years and we think that's a long time. Well, it's not even a blip to spirit world because they're eternal.
2: Eternal. And well, sometimes
0: I want to lean back on that if I'm running late for an appointment and say to someone, "Excuse me," but on the other side, there's no such thing as time. <laughs> have yourself for this with five minutes to wait.
5: <laughs> you're right. You're right. But but spirit, whether it's a spirit guide like a dead pope for me, we all have many spirit guides that come in and out, actually, based on what's going on in our lives. But our guardian angel stays with us for our whole life and through all of our lives. And is with us on the other side as well, that energy. And the interesting thing is that they're all very patient. you know, there's no there are no demands, there's no judgment. It's just they put ideas into our heads that they think can help us expand and co-create with spirit with God while we're in human form and and it's just their their patience personified is what I perceive.
0: You're truly the expression, a little help from your friends. You know,
5: exactly.
0: It's great. The next person I chose is just simply dear to my heart. Her name is Pamela Osley. She's amazingly gifted. She is a wonderful person and she is so helpful when you are trying to figure out your life because she, um, she can, she's so talented. She's an author She's a consultant. She's a radio show host. She's a professional psychic intuitive. And what I love about her is she's an aura expert. She she really changed my life, Pamela, because in 2004, when I just come out with my book, I had I read her book, Life Colors. And what she explained about auras was so illuminating to me that I made an appointment with her for a reading. And she predicted that I would be helping people from my aura color and what I... What I came here to do, she was able to see all of that by the band, by my aura colored bands that were around me, describe my personality. She knew me better than I knew me. And it was amazing how, how so much of what she told me has come to fruition all those years ago. She's done TEDx talks. She's very intelligent. And what I love about Pam is she has tremendous integrity. Also, by the way, she was awarded the Holistic Transformational Leader of the Year Award by the Global Association of of Holistic Psychotherapy and Coaching. To say the least, she's highly qualified to uh, help so many people on the planet, including all of us. So, my reading with her was all about my reading my interview with her was all about how pamela sees aura colors how our life colors which she calls our aura colors how our life colors show our path and information which is what she did for me and what they are how they can tell us our sole purpose give us information about our relationships She's fascinating, and this interview is very enlightening and fascinating. I also want to comment that Pam just recently did an event for Grief for Me Birth podcast, and she actually was able to read auras of different people who attended the event, which was amazing and helpful for them and fascinating. So tune in. Listen to Pam, truly enjoy her and learn, and she is just top-notch. So uh, that is why I chose Pam.
2: I've encountered people that see the same colors. So the way I, what I see is bands of color that, go, that glow out from people. It's kind of like a light coming off of a light bulb. It's just a very um, soft glow that comes out. Lots of different bands. And the one or two bands of color that are the closest to a person's body Are what I talk about. Those are the life colors. Those are the colors that typically, now I haven't seen everybody on the planet, typically don't change in a person's lifetime. They're the colors that show a person's personality, what they're here to do, their life purpose, their theme for this lifetime, how they are in relationship, how they are with money, their priorities, potential health issues, all kinds of things show up in those two bands. The outer colors in a person's aura, those are the bands to me that change all the time according to what's going on with the person at the time. So if somebody's really angry, I see a lot of red showing up in the outer bands, but that tends to go away. Um, That's different than a red life color, which shows me their personality type. So that's basically it. And there are certain colors that are very compatible with one another and there are certain colors that can rub people the wrong way. Like, for example, greens and yellows, they can be a little touchy because greens are perfectionists and um, they write lists and they want things organized and efficient. Um, um, Stephanie, I don't don't think you're you're just a, a straight green, Stephanie. We'll get into that in a minute. But I categorize the colors into three different families. The physical colors, those are red, orange, yellow, and magenta. Those are the colors that get what's real through their physical body through touch. And then there are the mental colors, and those are four different tans. And green, those are the colors that get what's real through their intellect, through logic, through getting it by a mental understanding. They gather information. And then there are the spiritual emotional colors, and those are the colors that get what's real through their inner senses, their intuition, their emotional feelings. Those are blue, violet, indigo, crystal, and lavender. So those are the colors I see. I started out by studying with Dr. Barbara Bauer. She was actually, she had kinesthesia, so she could see auras around people her whole life, and she thought everybody could. It wasn't until she was in her 40s that she realized people weren't seen what she was seeing and she would describe the personalities of what she was seeing and it matched with what I was picking up however over the years because she just got me started over the 34 years that I've been doing this I have discovered psychically more and more about each one of the colors and I went wow Barbara never told me that about a yellow oh she didn't explain that about a tan So I've developed information more just by working with clients through psychic, through intuition, just through experience. And um, so that's why I wrote a book about it. The next person I chose, I do not know well personally, but I
0: loved what she had to say about not staying stuck in life because she's a transformational coach. Her name is Dr. Elizabeth Hall, and she has a PhD in Applied Health Science and Health Promotion. And she focuses on affirmative behavior change. She shines the light on her faith in our ability to change. And I find one of my favorite expressions in life has been the only thing that doesn't change in life is that everything changes. I found what she had to say about change and working through what she calls a hero's journey when you're trying to come through your grief and heal, is wonderful. She talks about being in the struggle, how we get past the journey of grief, how we process it, and she reminds us that we need to make room for laughter and hope. So I just enjoyed talking with with Elizabeth. I learned a lot from talking to her. I think it's worth having you listen to her again and learn for yourselves. And since all of us are heroes on our own journeys, I think you'll relate to what she has to say like I did. So tune in, listen in, and enjoy Dr. Elizabeth Hall like I did. Thank you. This is
6: your hero's journey.
0: That's, I believe that. And I think that uh, a lot of people don't, you know, there's a famous song about a hero. That is song about being your own hero absolutely,
6: absolutely and our our hero's journey isn't always about one step at a time in happiness. Our hero's journey is like the mythic hero's journey. Um, our hero's journey is about um, you know the the uh, the struggles and uh, the difficulties that uh, uh, you know that one faces. And right, it's about being in the struggle and the journey when it happens, and um, getting past that. Oh, right.
0: Okay. What? Um, you state that the entity of heart wrenching, knee buckling grief is willful. Yet it is with and in and through our grief that we know deep, pure, unconditional, and comforting love. Please enlighten us about this, Elizabeth.
6: Yes, because we we think perhaps that uh, grief is something that we can push off that we can put a blanket over that we can decide against uh sometimes we think of grief as contagious, as in oh my goodness, I can't be with that person who's in grief because I might catch some of that. Grief is willful, grief will find us, and grief will uh, be part of us, and it is um. The beauty of recognizing that grief is who we are when we're going through it. It is heartfelt. It's knee-buckling. It's heart-wrenching. And it is part of us. We, um, if we process it and we feel it, it will help us to move with it instead of against it.
0: I think if a lot of people are afraid of the feelings. Um, that they that come up, and so someone like you is able to help them to cope with those feelings and figure things out and move on. Yes, right?
6: because, Yes, because in in the grief, in the in the as you um, as you so beautifully put it, the swamps of suffering, we we are there, and yet we don't necessarily stay there one hundred percent of the time, even when we recognize ourselves in the swamp of suffering, which no one is immune from, we recognize that there is also room for laughter and love and hope and endurance.
0: Now, my next person who I chose, her name is Isabella Johnson. What a wonderful human being is Isabella and so, so very gifted. She has a huge, huge following. And her specialty is, she's a psychic medium and her specialty is getting information about your soul and your soul purpose in life. She also is an expert in knowing how past trauma manifests as illness or disease in our bodies. And I chose her interview be, because of her focus on the soul. Who doesn't want to know more about her, his or her soul how we come here with a sole purpose. And I loved that she said that everyone thinks they come here and their sole purpose is supposed to be to make them famous. And this is not true. We all come here with different sole purposes. And sometimes it can just be to learn to be loving and kind. I also liked what Isabella said about that when a person transitions. They finished the work that their soul came here to do, which often doesn't make sense to us here on the physical plane as we're missing them and crying for them. But that was very interesting to learn. And, of course, we have soul groups and we learn lessons from them. She also talked about how our souls on the other side feel our emotions. This was a fascinating interview. So I decided that I would, in celebration of 100 interviews and who am I going to choose I decided to choose Isabella because so much of what I talk about and I'm what the interviews on grief and rebirth and what I talk about is our knowledge that we have souls and that we do go on and I think it's a fascinating subject so listen in to Isabella she's absolutely delightful and um, I can't speak highly enough of her Isabella, where in each person is the soul located? And what does it mean to be able to read someone's soul? And then I have a follow-up for that. And is our soul purpose chosen when we plan our next lifetime? Can you give us both some large and small examples of what could be a person's true soul purpose? I mean, there are people listening to this who don't know if they have a soul perhaps and don't know they have a soul purpose.
7: Right. Well, if we're here, if you have a body, you have a soul. Um, For myself, when I see people... uh, here in the physical that actually are here physically uh i I don't see facial features with them that that's something that i've just never been i can't describe what you look like i I really am not very sure what i look like to me when i say i see your soul i see i guess the perhaps the aura or the energy that we each emanate um and then instantly it's if it's downloaded why you were here what what lessons you've chosen to learn here what's the purpose of you being here where is, that? where is the soul? I, I think it's, it surrounds us. It is the highest part of ourself and, and each one of us carry that around with them. There are some souls that, that are a little more dim than others and I think we all encounter that some parts of our life. We might be grieving. We might have had a loss. We, we might just need a lifetime where we need struggles or need to know what depression or, or mental illness or addiction feels like. Um, but, but we can connect. We each have a soul and a higher soul our higher self is, is, I think, in spirit always, and a part of that comes down to experience the physical
0: life. So people don't understand that, but as I understand it, our master soul is always on the other side, but there's a, like a slice of it that comes it into us, that's with us, and it that carries that aura. Thank you, Irene. It. That's much better
7: than I, I explained it, but absolutely. That's, that's how it. I understand that's it. Ab- absolutely correct.
0: Now, someone could come into this lifetime with a sole purpose just to learn how to love. Or someone else could come into this lifetime with a sole purpose that they're going to accomplish something amazing in this lifetime. They're coming for that. And it could be, from my understanding, correct?
7: Absolutely. And we, I think today,
0: with media the way that it is
7: and television being so, so important in everyone's life, everyone thinks their purpose or the, their sole purpose needs to be grand or, or famous or infamous, even some of the, you know, and we feel as if we failed, if, if we haven't achieved these certain goals. No, oftentimes your your purpose is really just to learn how to love or to love others, to be take care of others, to for kindness. Some people need to learn how to be teachers or or, or embrace that part of themselves. And and we will often have numerous purposes or our sole reasons our soul came to be here during a lifetime. I one of my purposes is a mother, but it's not my only purpose. One of my purposes is a wife, but that's not my only purpose. We each come in with many lessons that we want to experience, and and even if
4: we feel
7: here that someone passed early. This is a question I get asked so very often when someone loses a child or or someone before they think it's time. Did they really get to complete everything? Well, it, it, there's two things I think we can't change, our birth and then when we transition. And when you transition, you've completed every single thing your soul came here to do. And that awareness is there the second the soul crosses.
0: So a, so a person can manifest and they can manifest and they're only going to their, they just want to experience being born or something. That's their sole purpose. That's their sole And then purpose. they leave, like whenever, you know, could leave very quickly, but it could be, that could be, it could be something that simple. And, that and they let's planned. say that happened,
7: correct. Let's say that happened and that, that's, that was their sole purpose. But perhaps it was also the sole purpose of the mother who carried that child for only a short amount of time to learn love, to learn compassion, to learn forgiveness, to to learn how to work out difficulties in a relationship. There are a myriad of reasons why a soul would choose to come in. And the lessons are rarely, if ever, only for them alone. My decisions and choices and lessons will affect everyone in my circumference, every person that's in my soul group. So I need to make sure that, that I'm always doing my best so that others get the best part of me as
0: well, too. I can totally understand that and how helpful what you do because someone who loses a child, for instance, is like crying, hysterical, right. all upset. Then suddenly they talk to you and they get like a, so much of a higher perspective. It must be very comforting for them.
7: And and we, everyone in spirit, their vibration is very high. They cannot, it, it's very difficult for them to come down. Now they do experience and are aware of our emotions when we're grieving. They acknowledge that. They acknowledge the pain, the anger the depression that comes along with this sometimes as well too, they feel that and they know what that's going to be like for us, but their energy and their vibration is so high. They can just have an awareness of it. They don't actually experience that kind of grief and pain. And yes, oftentimes it is very healing when I hang up with a client or, or leave a a group reading or something like this, everyone feels a lightness and, and there is just a feeling of, we know there is more we've, we've spoken with our loved one. We've had that conversation And sometimes that lasts for a lifetime and sometimes it lasts several months and and either one are okay.
0: Whatever it is, whatever it's meant to be and how you choose to, what you choose to do with it. The next person I chose gave me a hoot. I just thought she was delightful. She's charming, she's exhilarating, she's fun and she's a bit irreverent and she's marvelous. And her name is Corrine LaFont. Corrine is from Trinidad and... Tobago. And she talks about the women in toxic relationships and the seasons of relationships and letting go and the signs of a toxic relationship. Wow. Did that speak to me? Because I've been learning to detach from toxic relationships in my life. It's not easy, but a lot of times it's very necessary. So I chose her interview because she talks about these toxic relationships. Also close to my heart, which is in sync with the mission of Grief and Rebirth, Corrine talks about how important it is to work through your childhood wounds and heal and how people in your life come and go depending on the seasons of your life journey as you evolve. This is a really important message for each of us and this is why I chose Corrine. I thought that it's always important to remind ourselves to have self-love and not allow toxic relationships to, to bully us in our lives, how to separate out from them, how to use discernment in our relationships. So with all of that, she's just delightful. Tune in to um, a segment of my interview with Corrine and enjoy, listen and enjoy. No matter what. No matter what. <laughs> <laughs> That's hard sometimes. I know, I know,
8: but it's for you. Why should it be hard for you? Why should it be hard for your own benefit? I don't understand that. Do you? And I'm not saying it in 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 a sense that you mash people's toes or you do it. To, once it's not impacting other people, why why you can't do you? And why would it why doing you would impact somebody else in the first place? I don't understand that. How, what I'm doing for me is impacting you. I, I, I don't see the direct relationship anyway, because what you are doing is not affecting me. So then how can it be the reverse? What I'm doing, how could it affect you? You are allowing it to affect you. I remember I was talking to a guy and I reached out to him. I can't even remember what it is I was telling him right now, because I deleted him. And, he, and I'm telling him something. And suddenly he's coming. His response was, it was like, it's, it's affecting him. I'm like, hold on, hold on. We'll come again. Rewind? How how does this have to do with you? <laughs> I am telling you something about me, and then you're telling me you are upset and,
0: and chastising me. I just said, you know what? You need to go. You need to go.
3: <laughs> I,
0: uh, I, I, I call that detaching from toxic people with love. It's like I call it, not, you know, you're, you're not meant for me, but I don't wish you ill no 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 no
8: no ill at all i detach with you from you with love yeah you just need to go you're not meant to be in my space and that's good it might be good for somebody else but just not for me that's just what it is that's just what it is so you know even if you have to you know walk away from your children or let your children go or whatever it's temporary always remember everything is temporary it's temporary that's a major tip i want to let people know it's temporary and temporary doesn't have a timeline. Temporary could be a day, an hour, a month, five years, ten years. Fifteen, it's temporary. It's temporary.
0: Well, the, and, the truth is every, the only thing in life that doesn't change is that everything changes.
8: Well, all right. There you go. There you go. And, you know, fast forward to where I am now. I mean, there have been some challenging times because it will never be without challenging times. Um, I went through what you would call sort of like convulsions when I realized I wasn't with my kids, my, my, especially my, my baby, my youngest son, you know, being away from him, I only may see him once a year, you know, it's a number of things. I mean, I can't tell the full story here, you know, because we don't have the time, but I go through, I went through a lot of physical pain, mental anguish. And when I realized what it was doing to me every day, I'm bawling crying all day, all night, can't focus, can't function. You know, all of these things is like debilitating, paralyzing, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can't function, you're, you're out of source, you you can't socially interact, you don't want to go out, you know, nothing, you're just there, you go through a depressive state. You're like, no, no, there comes a point when, you know, it's like spirit will say to you, hello, please, slap, slap, you wake up, you can't keep doing this to yourself, if you trust in me, if you believe in me, if you have faith in me, you're going to get through this, and you suddenly say hello this i need to wake up i need to to get myself together what am i doing i'm 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 actually giving in to what these toxic people or your toxic spouse is doing you're actually giving them more power by 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 being in that state i know it's hard and i'm telling you this coming out of that state and there are moments it's not it's not easy there are moments where i would cry you know when the emotions are overwhelming when, when the memories come back, and I could tell you, your, your mind plays, loves to replay those things in your mind. It loves to do it, that broken record, replaying, because it wants to make you feel guilty again. And you have to stop that record. You have to change that to uh, CD or, or MP3, <laughs> you know, that broken record. Change it, change the tune, change the thoughts. Reset and
0: rewire. Yeah? Is that why you're now a self-worth coach? Because you speak to women who are going through these of things course. You're talking to women in toxic relationships to give them that support that many and of them I'm, may
8: need? That's right. And that's why I decided I needed to write that book. You know, I deserve better. Because you do. I think women are, are not, you know, they don't have the self-worth. They're coming from a needy place, codependency, because I realized that I am I, codependent, or I was or still am it doesn't really leave you, but you just have to manage it. And then coming back home, I, I looked at my whole family environment and I realized it started it for me from a child, from a narcissistic home. Well, you, you know?
0: often say that working on self-love and inner healing of childhood wounds is super critical. It is. You
8: have to go back. You have to go back. And it's going to be painful. You have to go back. Even if you don't want to, it will send you back. Spirit will send you back. It now, will. how do
0: you go back? Do you go back with help or you just get
8: into? You can see counseling. You can see counseling. You can, you can even, I mean, even if you don't have the money to sit in an open space where you feel comfortable. It could be out in nature, wherever it is. Meditate, whatever it is. Talk to someone who will be willing to listen and not judge, which is why you have to be so careful who, who you're talking mm-hmm. to. You don't need somebody to judge you. This is why I I believe in just talking to source. The answers will come to you without, you know, because source, God, Jesus will not, will not condemn you. He will not judge you.
0: But sometimes I think people's minds are so paralyzed or rattled from what's going on that I think having a trusted person Mm -hmm. to speak with and share with helps them a lot to, um, focus and to get courage. Yeah, and what just came to me
8: when you were saying that is that, let's say I were to come to you and say, okay, Irene is my friend. You will serve my purpose or what I need at this particular point. You may not be the person when I have transitioned from that to another another, another point. It might be Sandra at another point. So it's not just say I don't need Irene, you know, or I, I was talking to Irene, you know, Irene may say, I was the one she came to and I was there for her in the beginning. Now she's suddenly talking to Sandra. No, you were there for me when I needed you for this particular thing. I am at a different phase now because you're supposed to be evolving. Mm-hmm. So the person who you have in your life now may not be the person. Just like, just like when they talk about season, everybody's in your life for a season. Mm-hmm. So Irene will be in my life for this particular season. I might need Sandra at another season. I might need John at another season. So you have to understand that as you go through this phase, this journey, there will be people that will come and go just like the elevator. They jump off at a particular floor who come on at a particular floor, who stays with you throughout the journey. It doesn't matter.
0: The ninth person I chose is Suzanne geisman Suzanne geisman is used to be like in the Navy, living a very staid life very respected. She was an assistant to a chief of staff. She's amazing. And she had a spiritual awakening when her stepdaughter passed and she decided to pursue her spiritual, the spiritual journey. And wow, is she a highly respected, highly respected mystic metaphysical teacher and medium. And she shares what I love about her is she shares a way of living in life called The Awakened Way, which is a path to knowing who you are and why you're here. I find that to be so important. And she speaks to all of us through, she's she's only written 13 books. I mean, she's pretty prolific. She has classes, she has workshops, she has a radio show, and she even has a Messages of Hope documentary. She provides stunning evidence of life after death. In this segment that I chose, Suzanne talked about different heavenly beings who help us, what their job descriptions are, how she tunes in to their different personalities and power, she, how she hears them. She talks about how we all have spirit guides. Some of them are assigned to us for life. Some of them change. It is really interesting and fascinating, and it deserves a review. If you've heard her interview, you'll enjoy hearing this segment again. If you haven't, you may want to hear the whole interview after you've heard this segment. She is very, very wonderful. And that is why I decided to feature her in our celebration. So you communicate. You're so gifted. You communicate with spirit beings, including the souls of loved ones, spirit guides, angels, and masters in the spirit realm. How do these beings appear to you when you connect? And what would you call the job description of spirit
9: guides, angels, and masters in the spirit realms? (laughs) Job description. I like that. This is the funny thing I just last month said to my guides. What? I'm like a handicapped medium here because I don't see any of you. And they said that that is by design. Because the greatest way to know those across the veil is to know them through sensing them, they said that across the veil, they don't appear as different forms. They know each other by their light, by their energy, their vibration. And they want me to learn to do the same. So I m- had to really hone my sensing ability and I feel their personality. I feel the difference in the uniqueness in every being. I feel their power, which lets me know if they're at one level of being or the really higher masters. And I really hear them clearly if they're good communicators and I just know certain things. So it's funny. They, uh, they said what many of you call a handicap is not a handicap. It leads to stronger abilities in other areas. So the job description is for them to help us know that we are all unique expressions of one mind one light one source that even though they may have a higher vibration each of us is simply unique and equally loved and they're here to help us learn to shine our inner light to help us on our path to help us know who we are and just to help us know we are here to love each other fully and they sure do love us
0: oh my goodness do
9: our spirit guides we each have spirit guides Every one of us has somebody uh-huh. assigned to us for life. And then others come and go as needed throughout the uh, our life with whatever issues we're working on.
0: So we get thoughts and all and that can could probably come from our spirit guides.
9: Oh. Okay. Oh, so many of our thoughts are not our own, but we think they are.
0: I think they are. And angels, now, how, do they come through to us like that also? Or they have a different way of... Uh, they
9: have a. I mean, what is? They help people universally. We don't yes. all
0: have an assigned angel or anything like that.
9: That's right. And it, whatever your belief and understanding of an angel is, they will come to you in that way. So many people who believe that angels are always going to have wings or light around their head will. By grace, if it's needed, have an experience of seeing something like that, or you may see it in your mind's eye. I didn't necessarily have that vision, but I know that I am dealing with those at the angelic realm at certain times. It's just a different power, a different uh, vibration that's noticeable.
0: And our masters, very,
9: very evolved souls who have been around a million times or... (laughs) I know know that they wouldn't want to quantify it because they try to keep us out of pigeonholing things. But the masters are those who have made the decision that instead of simply dissolving back into the one light that all of us arise from, that they are going to continue to help humanity on a large scale. The higher their vibration, the more people they can affect even at once. Like Jesus, many people... Pray to him and people say, well, how can millions of people be praying to Jesus and he helps them all because he's at that level? Same with the Buddha and uh, archangels, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and Mother Mary and, yep. and all of them. That's yes. unbelievable. That's great. So you are the author of 13 books. I mean, I would
9: call you a high achiever. <laughs> <laughs> I would call me busy, <laughs> driven.
0: Yeah. And last but certainly never least. I chose Yvonne Heath. I loved my interview with Yvonne because of how she brings death out of the closet. She has an incredibly inspiring and wise book called Love Your Life to Death. And it talks about navigating life for others in our lives and for ourselves to our final passages. And she has observed a lot about how people, some people die terrible deaths and some people die beautiful deaths. And she talks about the difference. And a lot of it has to do with how you've lived your life until you get to your death. It's fascinating. And the other thing that she talked about that really resonated with me, and I bet it's going to resonate with you, is that there is a beauty in aging. That you can leave a legacy of love and why she, Yvonne, does not fear her death. I was I loved this interview. It was so informative. It was so helpful. And it was so filled with compassion and wisdom. So I thought this was a perfect interview to choose as my 10th celebration of grief and rebirth podcast, Finding the Joy in Life. Thank you all for tuning in on social media, getting on my website, ireneweinberg.com, and joining me in this love filled journey to help create a healing community so that all of us can have better lives and live together in peace and happiness and with joy. And with joy, from my heart to yours, enjoy. And as I always like to say, to be continued. Bye for now.
10: Well, it's interesting because that I think that is my first chapter. Why have we become so death phobic? And I didn't really, you know, as a nurse, again, you just kind of go along. You don't really try to figure all of this stuff out. So... I didn't really understand it as well, as well
0: as I do now. But by the way, as a nurse, are people also still scared to death of death, even though they're working in that profession? I mean, they're seeing it all the time.
10: Oh, we don't, we don't, so many don't talk about it in a real meaningful way. And, and the assumption people assume that healthcare professionals are great at this stuff. Oh, no, we're not. (laughs) (laughs) we avoid it as well. Or it's like, well, let's get the palliative care team in or let's get the hospice team in. And, you know, that's all they are wonderful, but they can't be everywhere all the time. And there's patients everywhere dealing with this stuff. So, so, you know, we really need a reframing of all of this. Um, But see, it really isn't our fault because it's, it's something that has happened slowly over time. I mean, you think back in the day, The doctor came over his little brief, you know, his little medicine bag and and he tried to fix and and did his very best. And that was it. And that person most likely died at home with minimal intervention. And then they you took care of the body and laid out in the parlor. And like the whole family was a part of this experience. And we also lived with all multigenerationally. Right. So we witnessed the aging process we we witnessed and 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 these days as technology took over took over now we can i mean we can fix anyone you can go to the intensive care you can be on machines and so we believe that we can cure anything and we also have all of these anti-aging campaigns and oh you know fight aging and you know i'm just going to stop right there and say there is beauty and gloriousness in every decade Can we just like talk about aging gracefully and fabulously? The whole anti-aging is- I definitely
0: have that as a question for you because that is really- uh, It's imaging. It's it's an issue that touches everybody.
10: Yes. And oh, don't ask, it's rude to ask someone how old they are. You know what? I'm going to be 56 in February and I am so delighted to, what a privilege- right? What a privilege to live this long. And I, I hope I live a whole bunch more decades and I'm going to brag about it along the way. I'm and just yes, like you. I have, whatever, you know, I'm and just like you. Wrinkles, whatever. I'm all good with it. And, and so, so we've started, we've slowly sanitized our society, right? We don't take care of people who are ill and dying at home. I mean, the hospice movement has certainly helped with that. But there's still many people that would prefer to die at home. That die in intensive cares. We have anti-aging. Many people live in nursing homes. We don't live with our elders. Like we are, use-
0: people so afraid of death because they're afraid of dying, or they—I mean, being afraid of being alone, or dying alone, or are they afraid of death because just the concept of losing control and being kaput, if they don't have another belief system, yeah. is fearful.
10: I think there's so many, the unknown, right? The fear of the unknown. How am I going to die? When am I going to die? Am I going to suffer? Will I be in pain? And and again, I believe that the more we have these conversations, the better. Let's talk about, right? It's just like the death cafes are so extraordinary because you just go out there and talk about what do you fear? what And, and, and let's address each of those things, you know, because... Medical technology, there's a lot of wonderfulness about it, like pain medication. <laughs> I'm letting you know that I don't fear my death, and maybe that will change as I go along, but I'm going to hold on to that now. But I will be more than happy to be loopy on a pain pump. No, I'm not going to be a big hero. And we have that technol- technology to die well, right? And and we can create a beautiful death. I've, I've witnessed, I've been at the bedside of of a t- what I would call a terrible death and I would I've been at the bedside of a beautiful death and I've how read- about
0: describing each
10: to us so um a beautiful death is when um I mean certainly I wrote about Homer in my book in I my intro well. that was one of the first stories that I was told and and Homer was a when he was 17 he lost his sight and he just continued on to live this incredible life. I mean, he was, he, he had five, he married, had five children. He golfed bowled, did radio. He, he did not let his blindness stop him. And he said, just because I'm blind doesn't mean I can't see. I mean, he was just this extraordinary human. And so when it was, when he was ill and he knew he was dying, he just created, he, he had his daughter, could bring a tie to the hospital so he could knot it properly because he didn't want anybody messing it up. He had them pick out a beautiful suit. He wrote letters to his family, had them dictated. He got lockets for his daughters and and wife. He did all of these beautiful things and left this legacy of love. And he died peacefully with his daughters holding his hands. I mean, heartwarming, heart wrenching. Yes, and. That is what I would call
0: a good death, it is. right? Whereas, what a beautiful thing he left to his daughters. Oh, what a what a legacy he left to his daughters!
10: Beautiful letters to his family and thanking them for helping him have a great life. I mean, extraordinary. And then there's the opposite, where again, right to the end, people are. Someone is dying and they're on machines and everyone's yelling, do something, do something, save him. And, and it's just, it's, it's so painful. It's so painful. And then, you know, the person is dying in fear. You could just, you could feel it and everyone around is hysterical. And then the families are fighting. We've had to call security on a family, right? Because they were just like, just fighting with each other in that while their,
0: while, while their loved one was dying while their
10: loved one was dying at a time where they could be supporting each other and grieving openly and loving this person <sighs> and i mean that's excruciating those are those are the moments that chip away at your heart and soul right and they're avoidable